The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today is the final class of this, uh, I think, nine-month-long Eightfold Path series. We'll be... Today we'll be concluding the series and we'll have a chance both to learn more about the parts of the Eightfold Path that we didn't talk about, which is the Tenfold Path, and we'll also get a chance to recap uh, what, what we've uh, learned over the last eight months. The day will be broken up into basically three parts. The first part will be a guided meditation and a Dharma talk by Kim Allen. And then we'll have a breakout session um, for you to discuss amongst yourselves uh, a couple of questions we have for you. Uh, There'll be a break, and then after that there'll be a second guided meditation and a Dharma talk by Chris on right knowledge and right release, which are the ninth and tenth elements of the tenfold path. Uh, And then towards the end of the day, we'll have a ritual to um, bring some embodiment to what we've learned over the last eight months and to kind of acknowledge to ourselves and to others um, the the change that's gone on by having uh, studied this eightfold path. And then we'll have a, an opportunity for both the students and the mentors to share about their um, about their experiences. And then there'll be a final word and then a time for a tea and refreshments and a, a chance for you to get to talk to each other and um, socialize a bit. So that's the uh, structure of today's uh, event. So we'll start with... Um, Kim doing the, the uh, guided meditation. Thanks, Jim. So we'll settle in from wherever we've arrived from. So please take a comfortable posture that is upright and alert, but also relaxed. And please close your eyes. And begin first by feeling the body sitting. So you can feel the base that you're sitting on, the chair or the cushion, the floor. kind of the feeling of the overall body in the sitting posture. Sometimes it helps to think of the posture as noble. Something that's worthy. Perhaps we can begin by taking a few slow, long, deep breaths. 
Really allowing the rib cage to expand three-dimensionally. And then just letting that relax. And on the out-breath, you can try to locate little areas of tension and invite them to relax. As we sit, we understand that what we're doing has an effect. We can deliberately sit and cultivate stillness or loving kindness, steadiness of attention on an object like the breath. that action has effect. So for today we will choose the breath, bringing the attention gently to the sensations of the air coming in and out. focus mainly on the very simple sensations like tingling and pressure and expansion, coolness on the in-breath. And on the out-breath, there's relaxation, contraction, maybe a different kind of movement, maybe warmth. These very simple sensations the change, provide a place for the mind to rest and stay. We bring the simple intention of being present, staying with the sensations in the present moment like sitting in an easy chair and not being distracted by things going by the windows and the doors of the house. Just sitting in the chair, feeling the breath. And if the mind wanders away and gets caught up in thinking, it's okay. As soon as we notice that, just gently bring the breath back into awareness. Without judgment, without harsh words or inner speech that harms. Very simply bringing back the attention. 
next kind of attention is called kind attention. Kind attention to what is happening now. Sitting with our mind and body in an attitude of non-harming. Gently rocking with the breath, balancing on the breath. Encouraging the mind to stay in the present moment. Sitting calmly with how we are now, we may sense the energy level of the mind. Maybe we're a bit sleepy, dull, low energy. Or maybe we're a bit agitated, excited, anxious, higher energy.
Mindfulness brings a balance to the mind. The breath can help to settle an energetic mind and it can stimulate a dull mind through gently noticing what might be needed to maintain our relaxed, alert body and mind. Gently staying with the mind and body from moment to moment brings ease. The ease of knowing. As we stay with the breath, we may get a sense of where the mind is most frequently distracted. Do we want something? Do we want something to end? having an inner conversation is there doubt is there dullness These are simply movements of the mind, activities of the mind. Through our interest in the breath, in the present moment, We can put less energy into these hindrances, 
helping to gather and compose the mind. around what's happening now. Breathing in and breathing out. the stillness feeling the peace So for these last eight months, we've been exploring the Eightfold Path. And this, this path is not something that we just walk and walk and walk and walk. <laughs> it does have a destination. <laughs> it, it goes somewhere. So in this talk, I would like to review the Eightfold Path 
and place it in the context of the Buddha's main teaching. The Buddha was concerned with a particular problem of human life. And he called it dukkha, which is sometimes, often, translated as suffering, but also as stress or struggle or simply unsatisfactoriness. So it's the sense that things aren't right in this moment. Could be ranging from outright pain and grief down to that very subtle sense of offness that can still accompany even otherwise peaceful experiences. That little sense of "Mm, not quite right. And perhaps the, I don't know, the epitome of, of dukkha would be aging, illness, and death, the things that uh, we must encounter in this lifetime that we can't get around with our money, with our friends, with the things that we otherwise gather to protect ourselves. So the Buddha wondered if there was a way to find the end of dukkha, to end all the suffering in a human life. That's pretty bold, (laughs) but that was the idea. And according to to this tradition, the Buddha indeed found the end of suffering through his own efforts in meditation. With a steady mind, he carefully observed his own body and mind, his own experience, and discerned the cause of dukkha, the cause of suffering. One metaphor says that suffering is caused by a thorn in the heart. And so removing the cause, pulling out the thorn, leads to the end of suffering. The Buddha realized the immense freedom and peace and ease that comes when there is no dukkha. That is Nibbana. In our tradition, we don't say very much about what Nibbana or Nirvana is, but it is the absence, we mostly say it's the absence of greed, of hatred, of delusion. And even that is enough. Imagine if none of those things were present at all. So the Buddha's teachings very broadly are concerned with suffering and the end of suffering, with dukkha and the end of dukkha, the end being freedom or liberation or awakening. And most often, uh, these teachings, suffering and the end of suffering, are cast in the form of the Four Noble Truths. So we'll go through those. The first noble truth says there is suffering in this human life. It doesn't say life is suffering. Sometimes that's, um, that's said, but it's, it's more just that there is, there is suffering and it's something that we need to understand. It might seem obvious at first. Well, of course, I can read the newspaper, you know, that's not, and I can, <laughs> my own life. <laughs> um, and that, that, you know, he did mean that, but he also meant something more subtle, which is to 
to really acknowledge that and say, oh yes, there is this unsatisfactoriness uh, that's a part of a human life. I found this amazingly refreshing and honest when I came to the teachings. They didn't say, put a happy face on, smile and everything will be fine. The first thing was their suffering. Oh good, somebody acknowledged that. The second noble truth says that suffering has a cause and that the cause is said to be tanha, which is thirst or craving or sometimes we say clinging. But the good news is that suffering has a cause. It's not uncaused, it's not random, it's not put upon you by somebody else that you don't have any ability to affect. It actually has, a, has this cause. And then the third noble truth is the good news. It says there's an end to suffering, to dukkha. It can be ended. And the fourth truth says that there's a path leading to the end of suffering. And that's this eightfold path that we've been exploring. So the path that we've been exploring is the fourth noble truth the very means by which we reach the end of suffering, stress, pain, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness. This path goes somewhere and it has a very good destination. This is a comprehensive and holistic path that touches all aspects of our life. Um, If we're going to be completely free from dukkha, from unsatisfactoriness, That has to happen in all regions of our body and mind, if you will. It's not just something that's going to require special circumstances or it's only possible for certain kinds of conditions. It's complete. And so walking the path also is going to be complete. It's going to touch everything that we do as a human So to walk this path at all, we must have the understanding that it's possible to make changes in our life. So that is that we can act and we can bring about beneficial effects from how we act. This is one aspect of right view, which we talked about in the very first class, that actions have consequences or actions have results. How else could we proceed if we didn't believe that was true at all? And so then we set the intention to do those things. And we're given guidance that there are certain things that if we do them, they're not very conducive to walking this path. Unhealthy desires, ill will, cruelty, these kinds of things are not helpful. And so we set an intention of non-harming to not do those things, to let go, to have goodwill, to have compassion. These are the wise intentions, which naturally takes us into the realm of our body and our speech, our actions in the world and our relational activities with other people. Wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood are about ethical conduct, ethical behavior. 
basically an enactment of our intentions. These intentions of non-harming, to walk through the world in a way that's gentle and kind and peaceful. And the path also includes inner cultivation, wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration focus on mental development, often in meditation, gaining some mastery over our mind in some way. We tend to arrive in practice with some unhelpful habits in our mind, which we discover quickly. Habits that are working against us, habits like greed, like anger, envy, restlessness, dullness, fear, doubt. And these patterns take us away from what our heart truly aspires to, however you frame that for yourself. Some people say peace or true happiness, freedom, love, awakening. We tend to arrive with habits that don't support that. And so we need to work with our minds to help change some of those habits. We learn to direct our attention toward abandoning unwholesome states, toward cultivating cultivating wholesome states. And in the process, we learn to collect the mind, to gather the mind, to compose the mind in some way. So these are the eight steps of the path, and I've talked about them in a somewhat linear way, but really they, they develop in a mutually supportive way. The path is very much holistic. As we work on one aspect, we tend to be pulling along all the others. And the good news of that is that we can always work where we're inspired to work. You know, whatever's catching your attention and feeling like, like it's what you need to do, then do that, and it will... It will be supportive for everything. You don't have to worry that you start at step one and then step two. Just can follow what seems to be unfolding for you. And when we've gathered these eight factors to whatever degree is possible right now, then the mind is optimally poised to see something see something about our life or about our mind or about our heart, have some insight. The path is not abstract, but it's very much right here in the nitty-gritty details of our life as it's happening right now. Walking the path is about transforming the heart so that it can abide in peace with what's happening now. For example, right now, there's a loud motorcycle going by. (laughs) But that's okay. This is an urban meditation center. And there are a lot of people around this neighborhood. I can feel the vibration of the motorcycle a little bit in my chest. It's funny the way, um, you know, normal sounds don't have that, but then at some point when a sound gets loud enough, it reaches a threshold and I can feel that. So I noticed that as it was happening. 
I'm also noticing um, how clean IMC is right now because I don't know if you know, but there was a spring cleaning this morning. People worked for between two and three hours to clean this whole place. Of course, it wasn't just for us, but, you know, there's the inner cleaning and there's the outer cleaning (laughs) and I'm appreciating the resonance between them at this moment. So remembering the teaching on the Four Noble Truths, we can frame whatever's happening for us right now in terms of suffering and the end of suffering. You know, whatever's happening, we can ask, is this suffering? Is there clinging involved? Is something being developed? You know, is it some aspect of the path that's happening right now? Or is there, is there freedom at this moment? It's not different from whatever's happening right now. Every moment we have a choice to move toward or away from suffering. This path is really a series of choices and one way to look at it. Gill has commented that it's a great source of happiness to him just to know that he has a path. (laughs) And so, you know, whatever's happening, he has some framework, something to approach it with, some way of meeting experience. And if at each moment we have a choice between going toward suffering or toward the end of suffering, if we just pick going toward the end of suffering again and again, moment by moment, well, that's how we get to the end of the path. (laughs) So Chris will have more to say about the end of the path, some of the additional aspects of it. But for now, we're going to pause and have some discussion about suffering and the end of suffering. You may find that you know more than you think you do about the very heart of the Buddhist teaching. So thank you for now, and then we'll give you the question in a moment. So now we're going to have a time to to do uh, breakout groups. We'll form into groups of three, and then you'll all have a chance to talk about the questions that we pose for you. So at this point, if you just um, kind of simply turn towards um, two other people around you and, and form a group of three, uh, if you have a difficult time finding somebody, please walk towards the front and... Um, and uh, that should work out. And uh, it's one group of two. Okay. Would you be willing to? Okay. So you'll you'll have a uh, special uh, guest star coming to your group as soon as she turns off the recording. So we, there's two questions. You'll have about your group as a whole will have about seven minutes to, uh, or fifteen minutes, no, seven and a half minutes to discuss each of the questions. Yeah, I'm a scientist, and um, so um, the first question will is, 
What do you understand about suffering that you didn't understand before? So that'll be the question for you to discuss amongst yourself. And you can go around, you know, go around the, the circle, make sure everybody gets a chance to talk. And then in about seven and a half minutes, I'll ring the bell. Okay, uh, got it. <laughs> so the second question is for you to discuss is, what do you understand about freedom that you didn't understand before? So again, you'll have uh, 7.5 minutes. So if you want to uh, thank your partners, and then we can come back into the bigger group, and you'll have, uh, well, I, we'll have about uh, five and a half minutes to report back to the larger group. So not exactly five and a half. We have some. We have some freedom about the time, but but there is some value to discipline as well. So, does anyone have something they'd like to share about what they what they discovered by talking about these two questions about uh, understanding suffering and understanding freedom? Hi, um, our group pointed out that sometimes um, that real freedom can be simplified if we wait on on this instead of acting right away. Oh, sorry. Um, our group also talked about that suffering is often self-generated, that we create our own suffering or may see things worse than what they really are. Thank you. Nothing about freedom. So one of the things we spoke about was the notion that freedom isn't, this is something that I've been practicing a lot with, freedom isn't a destination that I arrive at one day and then I'm there so I don't have to work anymore. Um, and weakening that, that notion has helped to weaken unskillful efforts and unskillful desire and opened up the possibility that freedom can happen and in fact only does happen here and now and if it's not happening here and now all the time it doesn't mean that one is failing on the path like which i've done to myself a lot in the past why am i not free now i was a moment ago so loosening that idea of freedom comes and freedom goes and it can only happen now as opposed to efforting to cross the finish line and then be free so.
Well, I feel free to share with you what what I found, um, what which was that I've I found that with this practice, um, there's been a freedom in acknowledging to myself and other people what's actually happening for me in the moment. You know that 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 willingness to um, drop some social pretense and be willing to say what's happening um, emotionally, physically, uh, cognitively um, makes gives me a greater sense of freedom, and I think also the people around me, the you know that willingness to to acknowledge what what's it like to be an aging, fallible human being. I'm just talking because nobody else is. <laughs> um, I just find myself more able than before, a lot more able to choose freedom, like to make conscious choices about, okay, for instance, I'm if I'm upset right now, noticing that I'm upset and then deciding, okay, what's needed right now? Do I need to, you know, go somewhere by myself and take care of myself? Or do I need to express what's going on to another person? Or do I need to sit quietly with my breath or whatever? Freedom is that kind of truly being in the moment with the pain and, and being able to decide what to do about it. For me, I realized two things. One is that um, dukkha is not just suffering. Actually, stress, unease, discontent, dissatisfaction, which talk to me a little more than suffering. Suffering is very heavy. So that was one thing. But along the path, I think what happened is um, actually uh, a couple of us, or the three of us in the group, noticed how much we live our lives in in that space. And for me, it was shocking because I'm usually very positive with others. And all of a sudden, I looked that I always view myself as the half glass empty. So that started changing. So my awareness now is uh, I am unsatisfied with whatever it is. I don't have to be. I can look at the half glass full. So just it doesn't mean it happens all the time, but just being aware of that has helped. Great. Thank you. Okay, so um, now is the time for us to take a 10-minute break. I think we have some tea uh, in the other room, and so uh, we'll ring a bell in about, um, well, 8 minutes and 40 seconds.